On today's show, we have got a feud for you. We haven't had a good comic book feud in way too long, but baby, we got the mother of the comic book feuds. Today, this one went public. It became a a debate at a convention. I am talking about Philadelphia Comic Fest 1993, the illustrious Todd McFarlane and the persnickety Peter David. Yep, that's how I see it. Uh, we, 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 we break it all down today as these two titans of comic books met to, uh, to state their case in an ongoing debate, formerly uh, uh, partners on the Hulk, collaborators split by the formation of Image and, and Peter David's incessant criticism and Todd McFarlane's rebuttal and who's moderating the whole thing? George Perez, none other than George Perez. We go back in time for comic book feuds today, McFarlane versus David on the next Observations. Hey everyone, this is Rob Liefeld. This is another episode of Observations. I am your host. I'm Rob. These are my Observations, uh, mainly mired in the comic book superhero, sci-fi fantasy side of the world. Uh, Started collecting comics when I was seven years old, never looked back, became a part of the comic book industry as a writer, an artist, a creator, uh, a publisher. Uh, Just just an exciting, exciting time, all of these different memories. But along the way, watching my industry, the comics industry, grow and expand uh, to where it, it, it has an acceptability now, today, that I would never have uh, imagined in high school. I routinely hid my comics in my peachy folder if I would even bring them to school. They had a definite nerd uh, uh, connotation to them, no doubt about it. And no matter how many sports I played or um, all, all of the you know cool cats that I hung around, comic books were uh, looked down upon. And, and I mean, just undoubtedly, Trust me, 1981, 82, 83, comic books were seen as more of a childish endeavor. Like if you're still reading comic books, you had not, it was almost a stunting of your growth. And uh, then I think one of the things that was helped in the 90s was the value of comics helped make it seem a little more uh, like smart, like you're, you're buying collectibles. I'm not a supporter of that train of thought as acceptance. But acceptance was brought as a result, regardless. Um, bought something for two dollars, sold it for thirty. I mean, that's w- when is that not a cool thing to have happen? But for me, that that still was was uh, that that was a, a ways away. That wouldn't happen until my peer group and I were in the comic book business. But as a fan, collecting comics and and uh, you know consuming them in the manner that I've shared with you over two almost three years with the podcasts. Uh, haunting the spinner racks, the comic stores. Uh, I mean, comic books are my preferred form of entertainment. They always have been. I have said repeatedly, and I will say again, uh, I would rather, you know, cozy up with a great comic book or trade paperback of a bunch of great comic books than a great movie. And then my default next would be a great movie. But I just like comics. I like words. I like pictures. I like drawing. I like the intricacies. I like the creativity, the storytelling. 
it's just it's just my jam. It's just where I live. It's it's where I'm always I'm always gonna live, no matter how advanced these special effects are to the point that they can actually kind of draw anything that we've ever drawn uh, on on screen and make it look absolutely realistic. I still just like the, the paper stuff. It's it's my preference. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of different styles. Humans look the same, you know, uh, uh, Chris Pratt basically looks the same no matter who is shooting him on screen. If he is going to appear without a prosthetic, you know, application on him, he's going to look like Chris Pratt or, you know, Chris Evans, whomever. But when Star-Lord or Captain America or Batman appear in, in the pages of comics, they may be wildly stylized depending on who is depicting them. So I'm a fan of styles and 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 comic books, uh, comic book illustration, comic book illustrators, the storytellers that I champion the most. So so the 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 place where comics were when I was a kid to find out where they are now uh, is just it's just astounding. I mean, let's be honest. I, I I hit on this briefly all the time, but you can't go to a grocery store or a five and dime. That's a, a, that's what used to be called a drugstore. But in fact, I went to a store called Five Below, which is like the next uh, level of dollar store uh, here that I've seen pop up in Southern California. Uh, except it's you know they're not kidding. It's it's like there's nothing here for a buck. It, everything starts at five dollars. Five dollar. Five below. There were shelves upon shelves. Uh, point of purchase at the at the register. Um, in the candy aisle, in the toy aisle, in the sport aisle, in the electronic aisle that was devoted to comic books. They're in all quadrants of most of these stores. So it's just fun. It's just fun to to, to see how comic books has penetrated our culture in, in such a way. But one of the features that we love to cover here on the show is comic book feuds. I've done a series of comic book feuds, and yet I have never gotten to today's comic book feud. In today's comic book feud, is a doozy. It's almost like, how did I not get to this before? But I definitely wanted to put some time, uh, <laughs> it, 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 you know, between this one and build up to it. And, and you know, again, go through the podcast library. Uh, I've done all manner of different feuds. Uh, this one was very public between two creators who had built up a, a, a fair amount of animosity between them. And it was taken to the stage at a convention in Philadelphia in 1993. I am talking about the Todd McFarlane versus Peter David debate that was hosted at the uh, at a Philadelphia convention. It was moderated by George Perez, who uh, at the time, it should be noticed, had, had been working on several projects with Peter David from Hulk, Future Imperfect, to their uh, epic uh, comic book, just pausing, making sure it was an epic comic book called Sax, S-A-C-H-S, and Violence. And it was their take on sex and violence. And it was an adult, an adult uh, worker, an adult film worker, and like a, a mercenary. It's interesting. You should check it out. It's got some uh, really great storytelling and uh, art by George. I remember reading the first issue and not reading any of the others Um I just was more into studying George's unique take on everything. Yeah, I'm, I am guilty of not reading every comic book. That that's true. And and uh, if you read every comic book that you buy, more power to you. I never have completely subscribed to that, and I have certainly have not in 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 this day and age. And I at least I can be honest and tell you that I'm I'm not or I haven't. And in this case, Peter David 
so George Perez was the moderator. Some fan, some questions were agreed upon by mutual uh, consent. Todd and 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 Peter uh, asked each other questions. There were some fan questions. Uh, George Perez again in collaboration with with Peter at the time. Little background for you: Peter David and Todd McFarland did a really fun, albeit very brief, run on the Hulk, and uh, Peter had come on following not not shortly after, uh, not too shortly after John Byrne had taken over the book. And for fans like myself, I really, I, I really love the the John Byrne Hulk run is very brief, uh, maybe nine ten issues max. I, I I'm not sure where I that there's an issue that did not get printed in the Hulk, but got printed in Marvel Fanfare instead, an entire issue of his run. But uh, they they changed course after he left. Al Milgram did a few issues, and then Peter David came on, and then Todd McFarlane, who had been doing a bunch of work over at DC Comics on a book called Infinity Inc., came over, and really it was Hulk where Todd's fandom began to swell. People like myself, who had been buying his work on Infinity Inc. and admiring it, were following anything he did. If Todd did a backup in Coyote, uh, the, the magazine or or a backup featuring Coyote, which was uh, some of his earlier work, or Scorp- I think it was Scorpio Rose. It was a a, a story featuring Scorpio Rose. Again, these are these are deep deep Todd McFarlane cuts. He did a fill-in issue on uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, a new new universe comic. He did um, some some work on some GI Joe books. I was following anything Todd did. He's his, his um, style appealed to me. He looked to fall somewhere between George Perez and Art Adams, which was definitely in the wheelhouse that I was pursuing as well. And uh, he and Peter teamed up and did uh, this run on Wolverine, which really kicked off with, I mean, and, and with a huge fan frenzy, with a tremendous uh, cover that Todd supplied uh, with uh, Wolverine brandishing his claws close to his face. Many people had done shots like this. Frank Miller kind of perfected it. But in the reflection in each of the blades is Hulk screaming, uh, you know, and and Wolverine is screaming. It's a very feral, terrific energy, great inks, great lines. Uh, it is maybe, uh, it, yeah, it's my favorite Todd McFarlane image. I, I think uh, it just, the energy, I've seen it redrawn multiple times. Many people have tried to recreate the energy and they just don't capture it. It's, it's, it's not easy to capture what Todd brought with that amazing issue. Look up the number. I don't have it. It's uh, easy, you know, to find Todd McFarlane, P- P- Peter David Hulk Wolverine. And uh, so, so they kicked off. Todd actually inked that issue himself, and, and which is one of the reasons I really liked it. I was like, oh, Todd McFarlane is inking an entire job himself. And the, the pure um, amount of action, adventure, savagery, uh, just conflict in that issue between Hulk and Wolverine was just, an, it was just a blast. It was outstanding. And uh, I was locked and loaded for whatever else was to come. Todd did not stay much longer on the book. And he pivoted all of his efforts over to Spider-Man, where his popularity soared, exploded, uh, maybe probably a, a, a slightly better fit with an editor who really, really got him and favored him. I'm not sure what the relationship was over on the Hulk. I know that uh, background on Peter David, he came from Marvel's sales and marketing department. When I was a fan and attending shows like San Diego or Chicago 
1986 consecutive Chicago's. Uh, Peter David was part of the Marvel marketing and sales machine. He worked with uh, a woman named Kale, uh, uh, Carol Kalish, if, if, if memory serves. And uh, they, they uh, if, if that's not her name, then it's 100% it's, uh, my boner on this show. But he was working in the department that worked with the direct market and retailers in order to position and sell books. So he came up through the Marvel machine, getting side gigs, just like so many others did in the in that age. Uh, the, the, the gentleman I refer to as the scripter was also someone that came up in um, marketing and later became an editor. Uh, a lot of these guys became, you know, put themselves in positions of power at Marvel Comics. That is indisputable. Carl Potts can be a great editor and a great artist at the same time and was able to do both, wear both hats. So much of that was going around during this time. I, I, I think at one point it was rolled back. Don't quote me on that. I'm not quite certain. It's I wasn't paying that much attention to the inner machinations of corporate Marvel after we left. But I do know that for years prior, Peter had a relationship uh, with the direct market based on his uh, company position with Marvel. He then achieved a really solid uh, voice writing the Hulk, and that work is acclaimed. His Hulk work is acclaimed. It is beloved. Um, I have read maybe 30% of it. Uh, there was a really interesting artist that followed Todd named Jeff Purvis, and I, I, I had heard from all my friends in Southern California that he was a storyboard guy from Hollywood, and his work had kind of a crude... Uh, aspect to it wasn't as refined as the stuff I normally liked, but his storytelling was fantastic. And many of his covers were really good and had boasted some really great inkers, Terry Austin among them. So I was invested after Todd left in this new name called Jeff Purvis. And Jeff only hung around again very briefly. And it was when Peter David and a up-and-coming talent named Dale Keown, who had done some Planet of the Apes covers and some black and white work for a uh, independent company called Aircel, A-I-R-C-E-L. When Dale Keown arrived on the Hulk, boom, that, that was like a nuclear explosion. Dale's, as much as I liked Todd's rendition of the Hulk, which really brought it back to the monstrous proportions and look of the original Jack Kirby renditions uh, when Jack did the early Hulks. Todd's, um, I really like Todd's version and reflection of that, but Dale Keown created this very muscular, refined, almost uh, bodybuilder-esque, but tremendous ren rendering. He channeled great rage. There's a uh, cover with Hulk firing a giant machine gun because at this point, and, and tr trust me, it was following on the footsteps of everything that we had established with the New Mutants. Because again, New Mutants was a bunch of kids, sidebar. And I am very proud of this. That's why I bring it up in 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 outdated clothes and gear. And I walked in there and they kind of introduced this paramilitary aspect to them. And suddenly everyone got guns and shoulder pads and pouches. And in this Hulk cover with machine guns and pouches, and it's fantastic. Uh but, but but whether it was the Hulk versus Abomination or the Hulk versus the leader, Dale 
really poured everything. This was a guy trying to impress everybody. There's a reason that we wanted to have Dale um, jump over to our side and and join Image, with, with he, which was what he did in 1992. And I got to be honest, uh, you could hear the screams from the offices in New York when Dale stopped working on Peter David. I think this is important to cement this, that post when we leave Image Comics after, you know, mid-92, when we leave Marvel Comics, excuse me, to form Image Comics, and we start, um, you know, inviting others to to be a part of our dream, because this was our dream, and we wanted to share it. Dale uh, jumped when I offered him $10,000 to do a pit story in the back of uh, Youngblood. I've mentioned this several times because Todd had, had, had tried to sweet talk him. But it was clear that the only thing that Dale was going to respond to at that point in time was money and getting $10,000, which is more than he was getting to do a 22-page issue of the Hulk to do a 8-page, 10-page. It's one of those backups in Youngblood 4, which was selling a million copies, so he'd get a lot of exposure. Uh, th- then, then Dale, he responded, he acted, he moved, he left the Hulk. And this enraged Peter David. It is no small secret that Peter who thought finally he had uh, a consistent, you know, co-pilot to enact his vision as a writer, uh, had had seen now, I mean, in, in within four years, three different artists, McFarland, Purvis, if there's a Finland guy there, I'm not aware of it, but Dale had also left. And once Image Comics was formed, so so Todd and, and, and Peter split, Todd goes on to enormous success on Spider-Man and ending any debate whatsoever about, you know, what was kind of the driving force in those early Peter David, Todd McFarlane issues for guys like me, because I hung around the the Dale issues I was sporadic on, the Purvis I was very curious, but again, I'm aware, please know that I'm aware that Peter's run on the book is acclaimed, beloved, celebrated. Uh, I I haven't read enough of it, but I know he held people's attention for a a multitude of years. After that, I think, did did Liam Sharp, I think Liam Sharp eventually followed Dale Keown. So another great artist stepped in. The book was having a great run, but Dale particularly had caught the fans in a way that even Todd hadn't, okay? And certainly not, you know, much more than the way Jeff Purvis had. And so now they're broken up and Todd tears it up on Spider-Man. And Todd's writing on Spider-Man bothers Peter. He mentions it in this debate. This debate that I'm discussing, the Peter David Todd McFarlane 1993 debate in Philadelphia, which is, uh, which is, you know, uh, uh, mediated, med- moderated, moderated by Mr. George Perez. So, I mean, look, you got three legends up there. One who was in business with, with, with the other. Um, and, and, uh, just that's a fact. It's again something you need to know. George and Peter are doing a lot of work together. And this debate came about as a result of Todd calling out what he thought the media's bias against Image Comics. And there was there was a segment that really did not like us, did not like us individually, did not like us as a collective. How do I know this? Because I read the articles. <laughs> it's I don't have to give you, I don't have to be a psych journalist here. It was Attack, 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 attack. I, uh, the aforementioned person that I mentioned, uh, the, the aforementioned scripter that I, that I uh, uh, 
you know, glanced over here a few minutes back. He told me to my face, uh, you guys are a mess and you're going to fail. And I hope you consider what it's like when you try and get jobs back here. And it was semi from a corporate point of view and semi from, I think, an envy point of view. Um, you can see envy. Envy is hard to hide on people. And when, when we broke off to make Image Comics, it was a combination of frustration, envy. People were startled. And then there were people who just thought we were snot-nosed snot punks who didn't deserve any of the success that we had and immediately began to take it away from us as fast and as furious as they possibly could. Well, in his dedicated column in his weekly uh, comic book newspaper, it, it wasn't his, he didn't own it, but he had a dedicated column called I Digress, which was written by Peter David. He took pot shots at most um, most of the comics industry. No, no targets were truly safe from Peter David. I would read the occasional article or the article that his editor would drop off to me saying, I thought you'd like to see this on the opening night of um, San Diego, you know, where, where Peter makes all these crazy accusations about me. And I would just go, okay, like you're going to have your critics and you need to, you know, uh, compartmentalize that. But in this case, the, the fruit, the fever between Todd and Peter had gotten so severe that there was call to have a public debate of which they both accepted. And all of this is on YouTube. You can watch it. You can watch it from multiple angles. Virtually, you know, everybody who taped it has now found a way to upload it to YouTube. And I spent, you know, the morning watching these clips before I came on here to share this with you. And again, Peter says to Todd that he believes Spider-Man was poorly written. Well, imagine a writer who prides himself. Uh, he even says in that debate that he gives three-hour um, instruction, you know, uh, classes on writing. And that no way in three minutes could he break down everything he didn't like about Todd's writing. So, so trust me, this guy is giving three-hour seminars on writing. So imagine how frustrated it is for him as a writer because he's ensconced in his position as a writer. He's giving, you know, debate. He's giving, he's he's giving uh, dedicated lecturing to how to write comic books that are three-hour sessions. He is so angered that this poor writer, as he calls Todd McFarlane, has soared to millions and millions of success. Peter mentions the sales and how wrapped up he believes the image guys are in money and sales. And he kind of sort of cherry picks and twists our words. I've watched this. I know what I'm talking about. You're invited to watch it as well. Uh, uh, in regards to where, where what it, it, he uses these, this cherry picking to depict uh, his beliefs of how image comics fall short across the board, whether it's our writing, our failed promises, our failed deadlines. So, uh, interestingly enough, also at the end of the deadline, Peter David informs the audience to their very much amusement after doing something on dis on deadlines that his and George's next issue of Sacks and Violence will be late. It will be delayed. So it was a little, you know, pot calling the kettle black here from the, from the outset. But Peter viewed himself and this debate as much more serious uh, than Todd did. And you can see when the stage is set. I know. Todd was excited for this. He wanted to have fun with it. When 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 it was agreed upon, Todd saw it as a show. P 
Peter saw it as a, you know, serious debate on the issues and uh, dressed up in his suit, his tie. He takes the stage very seriously. If you watch the videos, it is my opinion. I think the casual viewer would see he is very condescending towards Todd the entirety of the debate. Just kind of uh, exudes a superiority, a, 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 a uh, kind of a, a commanding uh, authority uh, uh, over Todd throughout. And, and Todd looks defeated from the get, from the get go. Todd also showed up with boxer trunk, uh, a towel. He had a Rocky theme, came in with a Rocky theme, thinks this is a boxing match. Uh, George Perez is not terribly amused by Todd. Todd picked up on this. Todd talked to me about this. Um, he, 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 uh, commented on this, um, afterwards, cause we did a download, uh, after it happened. And, and so, uh, so anyway, this, this is the stage that was set. Serious guy in a suit, Todd in boxer trunks and his, and his shirt off. And the debate was about to go down. Yes, you heard me correctly. Todd is uh, shirtless during this debate. Shirtless with boxer trunks, uh, occasionally sporting an image hat that he takes on and off during the debate. Uh, Peter again, uh, very nice suit and tie. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, both gentlemen are are very much uh, uh, as all of us were. Uh, they are snapshots of 1990s uh, hairstyle. Uh, Peter David could have been a detective uh, on 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 uh, NYPD Blue during this time, and Todd could have been a uh, hockey player. So so, but really the the debate really comes down to Peter saying Image doesn't like when people criticize them, which was not that that was not the case. Criticize us for for uh. uh you know, a decent reason. At the same time, drawing from my own experience, there was a reporter at uh, Wizard Magazine that they would uh, assign to me, and he always said, I'm going to ask you some tough questions. I'm like, fine, let's go. And and the interviews are such a drag because it's so argumentative. There's no joy in the interview because the guy wants to tell me, don't you think it was wrong for you to go in and take over New Mutants in the way that you did and run the right around? I'm like, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't the editor of New Mutants and I took the job knowing that I'd be given the position as writer. But half of the interview during the Youngblood era, which is now almost two full years since I had collaborated on New Mutants, I'm being dragged by this guy because he has a, you know, an issue with me and how things were handled. And you're like, okay, I just want to talk about the work that I'm doing now. And, uh, what they did like to drag us on was late books and our books were late and everyone knew it and we didn't hide from it. We generally just kind of say we're sorry and we're trying to get used to this and, you know, do a better job. And all of us found our ground about mid-year, year two. Uh, I, I believe that my my studio uh, really ticked up in terms of production, in terms of quality. I've mentioned in A World Without Image, a podcast I did at the beginning of this year, um, I had invested a significant amount of my money into hiring a coloring department and training a coloring department so that we could color books in-house. This kind of stuff takes time. It takes effort. And there was no expert. I hired my wife's cousin from Carnegie Mellon. He was a genius 
but he had not been in this field before. He had never colored a comic book page before, but he said, I can set you up a network. I can learn how to do this. I can get this going. We, we probably bit off more than we could chew. That's a fair assessment, a safe assessment. So our books were late, but we didn't, you know, make any bones about it. And like I said, by the year two, I mean, there's, there's a gap between like spawn three or four or four or five. It's one of those early on. I mean, we were going from where we worked collaboratively with editorial departments to being everything, publisher, editor, producer, uh, writer, artist, uh, you know, pulling, pulling together color elements um, it was a very exciting time, but it did take its task, and our books were late as a result. Some of the debate that that, that Todd uh, and, and Peter uh, discuss is over the lateness issues, but again, watch it. It's on video. I feel that in watching it, Peter, it comes at him very aggressively. He comes very strong. He, he is very much paints himself as the David to Todd's Goliath, and... Todd seemingly waves the the white flag, the all-important white flag of surrender, very early on. And Todd told me he felt that the room was against him from the outset. If you watch both men's introductions, it feels like that they're there for both of them. But as the debate goes on, the crowd, uh, Peter speaks the the fans' language very, very well. Todd goes into a, uh, and I know Todd didn't want to be the aggressor. So Todd went into more of a uh, an apologetic stance. Yes, Todd McFarlane of all people goes kind of into this like a apologetics uh, uh, stance approach, and he apologizes in postures and says, "Well, maybe I'm not this, maybe I'm this." And and to start, Peter's like, "You're Todd McFarlane's going to try and make you think this. He's going to say this. He's going to try and get me to react, get under my skin." Peter came uh, ready to to roar, and he invoked the power of the press and his opinions, and 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 was gener- generously um, mocking us. I got to be honest; I think it's a really poor showing for both guys. Uh, the energy was weird. Um, Todd is very much; he gets quieter and softer. Let me uh, let let me counteract that. With when I've I've always told you that I snuck into Todd's 1997 uh, Spawn panel at uh, at San Diego Comic Con. It was upstairs, uh, not in a Hall H type scenario, but but I would say there's probably you know a good thousand people in this room, and it was the room that Image Comics had done their most of our panels the year before 1996. Uh, where 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 we did an image panel, I've, I've referenced it before, and people started asking Heroes Reborn questions, and and Todd got very uh, snappy and 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 kind of uh, 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 bit back at people who who were um, p- people who were not there to ask questions about uh, people who weren't there to ask questions about Image Comics. Todd got uh, a little testy and. Uh, and, and that's the same room. And the reason I'm saying is I've been there. So Todd and I hadn't been business partners, uh, in over a year due to my leaving image comics and striking out on my own. And, uh, I know Todd had been very hostile in, in his approach to me in that year. We were no longer really buddies or friends, but I wanted to pop in and see 
the Todd McFarlane that was selling the Spawn movie. And let me tell you something. This is a Todd McFarlane with a microphone out in the in the middle of the aisle, in between, you know, rows, going in between people like a roving reporter, uh, a, a host, modeling basically off of a host that kind of made this approach famous called Donahue, Phil Donahue, who had a, you know, afternoon television show that was the dominant one before Oprah came in and took over everything. But it was the, the Donahue style of take the microphone to the 10th row to the 20th row, you know, to the guy in the eighth seat in the 15th row to the second row. Todd was there and he's full of energy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna open number one. I'm gonna be the biggest. I got Mel Gibson behind me. I got Harrison Ford in front of me. Old, the, old Spawny is all alone. They're running scared. He was full of as he would say, and he would say it sometimes, vim and vigor, vim and vigor. He had vim and vigor at his uh, Spawn panel where he is pushing the Spawn movie, the Spawn toys. He said, I'm going to be king of all media. Howard Stern, I'm going to replace Howard Stern. Number one toy, number one cartoon, number one comic, number one movie. This is the stuff that Todd was saying. At the Peter David, in contrast, four years earlier, in a setting with, it looked like 600 people. Todd's very, you know, you can say that uh, I think this, but I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to do the best comics I can. It's, it's quieter, it's less assertive, and, and Peter has a high octave voice and is very prepared. He is, he's got these prepared remarks, he has this thing where he sets Todd up and and then uh, makes this big thing about Switzerland. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Switzerland about Todd, just the way he approaches things. And he had a, and, and the whole room roars. And then Todd goes, oh, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. He, he kind of admitted that was a good blow he landed on, on Todd. Uh, Peter David then uh, talks about Todd being psychotic and not able to, you know, have coherent thoughts and making making things up and then of course you know George Perez says what would you consider a lie to Todd McFarlane putting the onus on him to say where he believes Todd is uh that Peter David has lied about image and Todd in general it's a hot mess my opinion it's a hot mess the reason we're talking about it is it grabbed a lot of headlines and I'll tell you the biggest headline that it grabbed in the days after was George Perez who again we've covered how much we really love and adore George. He was our idol. He was many of our, you know, reasons for getting into comics. I've done an entire podcast dedicating my love and adoration for George. Um, Todd has publicly talked about how much he loved and adored George. And uh, Jim Lee has publicly acknowledged how much he loved and adored George. Not not just the person, because we didn't get to know the person when he was drawing all those pages. We knew the, the artist who excited us first before we knew the lovely person who is George but for Todd uh who I who again was among the rest of us who idolized George uh to see this depiction of uh George Perez drew the next I digress Peter didn't write it was a full page splash page it's the Hulk uh putting spawn through a wall all that's coming out are Spawn's feet and some 
pieces of his cape and some dangling chains in a wall that is completely cracked and eroded and clearly Hulk has just put Spawn through the wall and is chewing an apple like it was effortless. Like he's looking down at the apple that he's chewing with his left hand and his right arm has shoved. I mean, the bicep is all the way into the arm. Spawn's feet are dangling out of it and again, the cape and the chains. And it's high. It's about six feet off the ground. It, I mean, he, he put Spawn through the wall high above. And then the uh, character from Saxon Violence is like, with her hands over her mouth, just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And uh, that was it. That was the commentator. That was the commentary on how he saw the debate going down. And uh, look, the uh, a, a book that I highly recommend you guys get calling called "The World versus Todd McFarlane." Okay, "The World versus Todd McFarlane." It's it's written by Daniel Best. You can find it on a Google. It's very. Um, it, the, the main reason it's 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 so uh, intoxicating to read this book is he has done the legwork. He got the files, the filings, the legal briefs of all of the different lawsuits that Todd was a part of with Neil Gaiman and with um, the hockey player Tony Twist. And it was coverage I'd never seen before. But it's it's very um, it's not always flattering of me either. Daniel does not pull his punches in what his perceptions of me are. So I'm not promoting some pro Rob Liefeld book. But this Todd McFarlane book is extremely interesting. In, in that data and the information that it gives. So Daniel Best, The World uh, versus Todd McFarlane. Uh, I couldn't put it down. I read it all in one setting. In that book, he talks about this debate. And he says, uh, he says, George Perez draws the outcome of the now infamous 1993 Comic Fest. That was the name of the show in Philadelphia. Debate between uh, Todd McFarlane and... Uh, and, and Peter David, and it says, uh, it says that, uh, where, where is the exact word here? It says, uh, T- Peter David figuratively tore Todd McFarlane apart. And uh, at this, it says, challenge to the formal debate with McFarlane at the 1993 Comic Fest, Peter David figuratively tore Todd McFarlane apart. It really was kind of the, uh, because Todd waved the white flag as quickly as he did, it was very much seen as, and if you watch it, you'll see that t- Peter has early control, never cedes it, knows exactly where he's standing, kind of again invokes the power of the press. Look, the sets it up like the image guys don't like negative press, and I'm here to defend why I'm negative on them. At one point he says, you want to know why I've, I've written stories about you, I've written stories about Eric Larson, I've written stories about... Rob Liefeld, but you know why I never do th- anything about Jim Lee is because Jim hasn't said anything dumb and watch that part of it. He goes, because Jim Lee hasn't said anything dumb. It's the delivery. It's almost like Peter had rehearsed it in the mirror for weeks upon weeks. Todd literally believed he was approaching this in a comical uh, manner, much more lighthearted and no one treated it that way. No one thought it was going to be funny. It was like Peter David is being picked on by the very handsome, very fit, very shirtless Todd McFarlane. That's how the crowd, it appears, viewed it, and the press. Todd was the bully, and uh, again, David and Goliath, to quote the infamous Shaquille O'Neal, when he left Los Angeles, he said they no, no longer, no, they never root for Goliath. They always root for David. The giant is hard to root for. You know, little, little bit of pours, pours me in there, but, uh, you know, that, 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 that's a, a, uh, one way of looking about 
how the crowd treated Shaq and Kobe. Also, Shaq flew through the sky like Spider-Man, could do all manner of acrobatic, athletic, incredible stuff that only a superstar uh, guard at his position could do. Legendary, Hall of Fame, five rings. Um, even my friends in Orlando, when Shaq was on the Magic before he was traded to the Lakers, would be like, he gets the ball, back up, back up, dunk. It's it's overwhelming, it's powerful, but it wasn't as wow and and immediately breathtaking as the stuff that Kobe did. Now, let me talk about the crowd and the, and the difference a crowd makes in my observations of the crowd. And you may bring a different observation, or maybe you were there and you can weigh in on this as well. Is uh, So to decide, the fate of the playoffs was on the line this past football season for the NFC West uh, and had the Rams uh, lost the game, they tumbled from the two spot to the five spot or the four spot. And uh, the Niners would, if they lost this last game of the regular season, they're out of the playoffs entirely. If they win, they're a wild card team. And the NFC West sends three teams at that point, Arizona Cardinals, uh, Los Angeles Rams, and the San Francisco 49ers into the NFL playoffs. The playoffs we just went through. The twenty, uh, the 2021 NFL playoffs. 2021-2022 playoffs season. So uh, what happened is, uh, and had the had the Cardinals taken care of business, it would have changed everything up. It was just everything was in the air. But that day at SoFi Stadium, and I've been seeing it since I was a Rams fan in the 80s, and I'm going to keep this quick. This isn't really about sports, but it, it's about crowds. When, when, when you were at SoFi for that last game, that last game of the regular season, there were more 49er fans. It's always been this way. Southern California fans love to see San Francisco fans pay them three times the value of their tickets in order to get into whatever venue they're going to play in in Southern California. And this, more than any other time, there was more red in the stadium than blue. The crowd was louder uh, on behalf of the Niners. I think it shook the Rams. I know afterwards Rams players, such as Matthew Stafford, his wife, you know, she's not a player, but obviously his wife, were on media and radio saying we've never seen a home stadium where the home crowd was so drowned out. And again, in the inaugural SoFi Stadium season for the fans, the year before the Rams were allowed to play there, they were televised, but again, no fans in the stands because of the COVID situation. Here we had fans for the first time. And you'd think in this giant matchup that Rams fans would have come stronger. They didn't. The Niners fans drowned out the Rams. As fate would have it, they met up for the NFC Championship game four weeks later. And the media, really, the Southern California media and the LA Rams organization shamed people enough that I am telling you, and, and, and the proof is in the pudding in the fourth quarter, the sound and fury of the Rams fans caused the Niners to take a penalty because they couldn't hear the calls. Jimmy G could not hear and their team could not hear what he was saying, and they got a delay of game due to the noise that the Rams fans were were making. And look, do I believe that charged the Rams and helped them immensely, that, 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 that the balance was there? So you go from 80, 20, 75, 25 at, at best the last week of the season with Niners fans representing, and then you go to 50-50, at least an even split, but Rams fans, I mean, come on, you're an 
the Southern California home of the Southern California football team, and they want to go to the Super Bowl that's going to be in Southern California. The the fans went crazy. We caused, I was there, uh, tons of problems in in, in, in terms of noise. And, and, and I think the Niners, who four weeks ago were like, this is our stadium. Our crowds come here and outweigh them. It was a completely different completely different situation. And crowd noise, crowd reaction can determine uh, an outcome. It can cheer on a, a challenger and it can diminish, you know, the opponent. And, and it, I, I'm telling you, watching this tape and, and, and reliving it all over again, in the room, Todd is defeated. He can't believe there's this much support. And he should have maybe anticipated it more, but I know in talking to Todd afterwards, he just thought he was going to have a playful debate. It turned out to be um, uh, much much more serious in tone and not quite a Harvard you know, debate. But Peter came ready to, uh, to dictate the terms of everything they were discussing and, and elicited zero sympathy. Uh, I think with a, a zero sympathy for for image, we were we were very much portrayed as kind of a bunch of irresponsible idiots who, for whatever reason, had caught the attention of fans. But again, I mentioned on this this earlier, there was a segment, and they told me to my face. I'm not making this up. They told Todd. They told Eric. People told us all they we would fail. They wished we would fail. They hoped we would fail. Um. And then even after the books were late, you could hear the chatter. Oh, they're going to fall apart. And yet you guys, the fans of Image Comics, did not abandon us at, an, at any point along the way. You 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 pushed us. Now, maybe that was the wrong kind of love. Maybe you should have run away from us so that we could get our act together. But again, I'm going to tell you, when I came back to Youngwood myself, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we were cooking. We were shipping on time. Brigade, shipping on time. Brigade, uh, uh, Bloodstrike, shipping on time. Uh... I took an ad out because plot, you know, after all this timeliness and, and trust me, we did a crossover, extreme prejudice, extreme destroyer, uh, you know, extreme sacrifice. Those books had to come out on time and they did boom, 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 each part of the storyline. But I can only speak for myself and I can also speak for dragon and, and spawn and all the others that caught up. And, and, and we, we, despite the fact that you unconditionally loved us, which some people truly resent it. They did not understand why the fans supported us because they portrayed us as crooks and criminals and we didn't deliver and we were, you know, con men and it was this weird, it's what the competition does to smear the other guy. And I'm sure we frustrated retailers that make no doubt about that. We retailers were, de- were dependent on our books being there at a certain time and they weren't. And so they got frustrated and Todd definitely um, touches on some of this in the debate, but at the at the end of the day, it's hard to say, Hey man, Todd kind of touches on it as a writer. I'll never be as popular as an artist. The pictures that I do excite people. And that is what we could control. And what image, especially in the first couple of years was really, um, refining was, especially as I've discussed computer color, we were refining the look and the presentation and the delivery of our art on better paper, on nicer cover stock. The fans stayed with us. I think there was a group of people that were very frustrated by that, Peter David being one of them. He would only increase uh, his attacks on us in the years to come. I, My personal view of But I Digress was Peter would take out whatever he was unhappy on routinely 
and he had a bully pulpit at this weekly newspaper, the Comic Book Buyer's Guide, which has since long since passed, and his article has long since passed. But people liked that he spoke uh, truth to power. Uh, Image Comics had become a power, and that he could talk um, and demean each and every one of us in any way that he saw fit, and he did. And he was very, I would say, sometimes Peter had a real snarl to how he approached us. But this debate played into his hands. Todd wanted to have it more be a carnival circus affair and other than him wearing boxing trunks and going shirtless, no one else cooperated with that atmosphere. So the atmosphere, again, speaking to atmosphere and crowds like the Rams, 49ers, uh, it just didn't work out. It didn't, and, I, and Todd waves the white flag, watch the videos. You'll see at some point, he's just like, I'm just going to exit. This isn't going to stop me. And again, it didn't stop Todd. Todd was not deterred. He took his licks. Uh, The perception, again, having your fan favorite draw a commentary one week later by having a Marvel character put Spawn through the wall. I'm sure the glee that that sent through the Marvel offices was, um, was immense. I have not yet shared with you some of the letters that Marvel Legal wrote us, each of us, in that first year. Sometimes we would read them to each other, we would bring them to the image meetings, and we would share and read them with each other um, with great glee because we kind of knew that some of the parameters that they were trying to explore in regards to legalities were not, um, you know, were not winning arguments. For instance, I'll give you a glimpse. Marvel Comics in 1992, not then, not now, does not own either the skull motif or chains. But there's a legal letter that kind of implied that the use of them in this certain manner was something that they were entitled to. That that wasn't a winning argument. The threat didn't work. The, the, the response was enough to make it go away, explaining a knowledge of what we had. There are public domain characters, you know, that, that, that have skulls on them. I mean, the skull motif is really a hard one to co-opt, but we, we, uh, that there were people at Marvel who were very angry. I've mentioned Peter, David, the, the others that I've mentioned, um, who were openly rooting for Image to fail and to see a, a, a debate like this. And, and Todd even says, like, look, on the video, you'll see, he's like, look, bottom line, whatever happens today, there's cameras here, there's a ton of press, there's a ton of people, this is generating a lot of excitement. And, in, and to that end, Todd got the show that he wanted. But the playful tone of it was not there. It was ruthless. Again, Peter David wanted to make his point and eviscerate Todd as someone who was had no integrity, was misleading, was 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 running the label his his label poorly, and even goes so far as to say that he is a poor writer. So that's all on tape. I'm not making that up. You can look it up and watch it. Do I think Todd should have done the debate in the first place? I don't. Um, it's like social media, and it took me a long time to learn. And my kids would say, Dad, why are you arguing with people? And, it, and really, other great friends of mine online would tell me, don't give these people a voice. And I would not listen to them. I would argue. And it was all about who could dunk on who. And you know what? No one wins in that scenario. Because whatever you're saying is out there to be retweeted by a bunch of people who don't like you. But it's not there for them to retweet if you don't say anything at all. And what I've learned in the last five years is to walk away and not to engage in uh, banter that, it, that there's no, you have no control over that. You, you're getting into a public argument. It's like you're getting into an argument in a parking lot with someone in an opposing car and you're both leaving your cars and you're screaming across your, you know, across your hoods at each other, your car hoods. 
and or or through the windows and it's just it's never a good look it's maybe one person will make a funny remark but at the end of the day it's not a good look so i'm sure if you go back in time he wouldn't even take this debate i i i i what happened is composure uh won over and the white flag was was flown and and there was an air of defeat around Todd the rest of the time and that's no fun so then what you do is you go with the guy Todd, I get Peter goes octaves high very high this isn't the Todd selling that he's the king of all media and he's going to open number one which he did not um he he this is not that guy this is a very defeated presence at this debate it's it's very strange to watch even these years later but uh, again I like social media, just don't engage. Don't engage. If you don't like what someone's saying, either look away, turn it off, mute them. Because again, blocking has become such a part of the, look, I, they, they wear it on their belt. I've been blocked. No, mute. Mute is the best tool that Twitter ever established. So anyway, that is a comic book feud that became very public, that ended in a public debate. Um, George Perez gave his opinion, weighed in on it with smashing spawn through Hulk smashing spawn through a wall, a wall. So again, and George is a titan of of our industry, and I'm sure I know. I think that was that little bit hurt Todd's feelings, but um, you know, I think that cartoon would have appeared whether George moderated or not. What a weird time the '90s was. So much animosity. Todd was not deterred. He went on to start a toy company that redefined who he is. I've done an entire podcast on Todd uh, and his toys and we redefine the toy industry and how he deserves a statue, a, a some sort of lifetime achievement award for all that he has done in the world of toys. I think his impact in the world of toys is greater, if you can imagine that, than the impact that he had on the world of comics. So Todd was not deterred. He maintained his position as a top-selling creator who did not w- need to worry about what artist was coming in or out of his door because it, you know, Especially back then, if, if if push comes to shove, Todd can draw his own book and is proven to be, you know, the most popular artist that he could get to draw that book. Um, Peter finished up, did some stuff, and uh, that that was really peak Peter, sales-wise, relevancy in the comic book world. Um, I don't know that Peter ever went on to do a whole lot of creator-owned stuff, or if he partnered up, I didn't follow his career as, as closely as I should. His Hulk is beloved, it is critically acclaimed, it is adored by the fans, that is a fact, there is no argument there. Um, he really did define Hulk to the 90s, for the 90s, for an era of kids who adored it. Uh, these two gentlemen met. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. It's kind of hard to watch. It's a little bit like nails on the chalkboard, but, you know, check it out. Again, it's all over YouTube. Todd McFarlane versus Peter David, a comic book feud to remember. Thank you guys for always following this show. Thank you for always being so enthusiastic. I appreciate it so much, the 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 energy that you guys bring to the show, the word of mouth, the way you guys have been spreading the love. I am so, uh, so excited that, that, that you guys are, um, um, I'm just so, uh, excited for, for you guys to show up and listen, uh, each and every, uh, you know, episode and, 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 and the word of mouth, the reviews, we need them. Thank you so much. You guys, we are, we are growing and, and it's because of you, you guys are, uh, are just, just absolutely on fire with, um, with, uh, with, with, with all of the ways that you are pushing this show. And, uh, I, I, I read your reviews at the end of every episode and I am so excited 
to share your reviews. And so when you read a re- re- uh, <laughs> leave a review for me, I will read it. And I've read uh, almost uh, most of them uh, a- 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 as you guys have been leaving them. And thank you so much. Five stars reviews on this platform. It helps us stand out. Thank you so, so, so very much. This review I'm going to read to you today, inspiring. Rob's podcast is phenomenal. Your enthusiasm for the craft and not only comics, but pop culture in general is contagious. You and the folks at Cartoonist Kayfabe have inspired me to give making comics a go. I missed the boat as a kid and have plenty of catching up to do in the reading of the medium and your insights have given me a great platform to launch from. I love the 90s, the music, the films, the video games, and now the comic books. I'm now hounding my mate who has been a longtime comic fan at least twice a week with facts and figures from your shows. Love the figure stuff as I measure what I'm doing by the sales we make and I'm in the creative field. Without the support of others, it's hard to tell stories. Keep robbing it out and I'll catch you on the next installment. This is from a gentleman named L and then there's a smiley face and he's from New Zealand. L from New Zealand, thank you so much. Inspiring is the name of his review. Five stars, thank you so much. Every week I check in, I read your guys' reviews. I'm so excited. Our growth is astounding. Um, the word of mouth is phenomenal. Thank you. Look, I share those facts and figures and sales from different periods of time because I know they matter. One guy goes, these don't matter. I, a, a professional on Facebook said, you know, none of this matters. No, it does matter. Um, um, it, it actually, it actually does matter. And there was a discussion that's going to be the basis of an upcoming, uh, uh, podcast about sales and critical acclaim. And we'll get into that later. But anyway, thank you for this. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, the whole name. I have a blue check there. That's me. Reach me. Talk to me. I love our discussions, our comments. Um, it's so fun that we can just reach out and, and touch and, and encounter each other in this way, in a way that we just we just couldn't years ago. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Again, blue check. You know it's me. I read your comments, your DMs. I try and keep up with you guys as best as I possibly can. Thank you for the follows. Thank you for the recommenda- uh, recommendations. Thank you for the reviews that you're leaving for this show. We have a Rob Observations with Rob Liefeld dedicated fan page on Facebook. Please swing by. Uh, give it a like. Leave a comment. I'll make sure and read it and respond to you as I always do and will continue to do. You guys, we have reached the end of the show, which is the period where we agree that we are going to continue to take great care of each other. What a crazy couple of years it is. Um, Take care of yourselves emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It's okay to just take a break, take a time out, get yourself right, get the rest you need. I'm rooting for you guys at all times. Make sure that you circle back because I'm going to find my way back to the next episode and so will you and we will talk again real soon. (laughs) 